Hi, welcome to the Council of Science Editors podcast series, Scientific Publishing Exchange Around Knowledge, or SPEAK, co-hosted by myself, Carolyn DeCourt, and Jasmine Wallace. This podcast series is part of CSE's mission to foster a community for networking, education, and discussion and exchanging of practical information for publishing professionals. Our aim is to be an authoritative resource on current and emerging issues in the communication of scientific publishing, and to do so by the voices of our members, not just emerging experts. True, Carolyn. Professionals to professionals. Well, I think that's enough about us for now, Carolyn. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome listeners. I'm excited today to have Jack Farrell here as our special guest today. He's the managing director at the Jack Farrell and Associates. Uh, He's a recruiter. He has over 22 years in publishing um, and I think it's probably better to just let him introduce himself a bit more, but we're really excited to have you here today as we have a broader conversation about how to sort of get unstuck. Okay, so Jack, could you give the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, thank you, uh, Jasmine. Uh, well, I was a publisher for most of my days, I guess 22 years altogether, uh, largely in the STM space, science, technical, medical space. And then I left McGraw-Hill in May of 2006, so 15 years ago, to start a, a recruiting company, largely to, to achieve what I hope would be a higher quality of life for our family. We had five little kids and I was never home and always working. And I had never sort of done recruiting. I mean, I'd hired a lot of people and I always liked that part of the work. And I thought I could sort of do this um, just with a Rolodex and a phone. Uh, and, and thankfully it sort of has worked. So we just finished our 611th hire, uh, I guess earlier this week. And the, 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 the verticals that we play in publishing, sort of all areas of publishing, not just STM, but everything you could think of, uh, children's publishing, uh, trade books, um, legal, all, all, all things, college. Uh, but we also work in publishing technology. So those are the, the firms that support, tech, uh, that support publishing in, in, in various ways. Uh, we also work in educational technology, w- which is an interesting sector, mostly in sort of younger kind of education uh, arenas where they're, uh, you know, they're developing reading programs, math programs, things like that, curriculum aids. We also work in medical education and medical communications, which is sort of a quirky sector. I'll say a company like WebMD would be in that arena. So they're creating content that physicians would consume or sometimes the general public would consume. We also work increasingly in academic libraries. So that's been a really kind of a cool new area for us and we're having great success. But but publishing is where we do the bulk of our of our activity. And um, yeah, that's that's where we work. So in the midst of that, did you have any major career changes before you went out to start your own, you know, recruiting firm that might be notable to other people about like maybe jumps from, say, doing something production related here. And then I went over here and did something completely unrelated. I did. I did. And um, I mean, that might be interesting. I'll, I'll happily share that. So I, I began as a sales rep in New York City selling textbooks, really, for a company called W.B. Saunders, which once upon a time was the largest health science publisher. And we would I, I would call on faculty in schools of medicine and schools of nursing and allied health uh, and try to get our books used in those courses. And then <clears throat> after a couple of years in sales, I went into the Saunders home office as a marketing manager 
and really enjoyed that a lot. I mean, you know, when you're a salesperson, you're a lone, kind of a lone warrior out there. Then I, I, I came into the Saunders home office as a marketing manager, did that for about three years, and then was offered the chance to become a director of marketing at a small company called BC Decker, which was in Philly. And that that was one of the most important opportunities because I, I got to do everything from, you know, take out the trash to negotiate the contracts, you know, to negotiate our, our global kind of distribution agreements. It re and I think it, that, that experience, I mean, as I look back, was as, as seminal as any one that I had because it exposed me to so many things, so many things. You know, I worked very closely with editorial, very closely with the production team. And then from, from that, I, I went to McGraw-Hill. So that would have been October 90 as the marketing and sales director for their um, medical division where I was, I was doing that for about seven or eight years. And then I did cross over to the editorial side. So I did become a publisher. Uh, and then my last kind of days were we were just developing all digital products. Yeah, I guess I, in, in retrospect, it was kind of the perfect training ground for maybe what I'm doing now in that I really worked with almost every division within the publishing sphere, you know, production, sales, marketing, everything. And, and, that, and that was always really quite, quite enjoyable too. And I was always, I guess I always was lucky in that the next opportunity came before I got bored and, and you know, <laughs> found another industry. So... I did have a couple jumps to other divisions, and they were all really, really fun and and, uh, and good. So how how did you initiate a lateral move? So how did you initiate moving between different departments within the company? Right. Well, the move certainly the move from sales to marketing is very kind of natural and, or, and organic. You know, I think a lot of companies would look to a sales force as like almost the the, the minor leagues for talent. Uh, I, I mean, I assume it's this way still where, you know, they bring younger people in, not always younger people, but, but folks who <clears throat> maybe have an interest in publishing, they begin in sales. And then from there, people probably say, what can we do with this, with this, with this person? <laughs> yeah. And, and some people also are content to be in sales for 30 years, 35 years and, and just love it, love the whole independence of it and all that. Um, I, I think I did sort of uh, long for that sort of sense of community, being in an office, I mean, no one's in an office these days, but I mean, back then, and <laughs> maybe once again, that'll be in vogue. But, um, you know, so the, the move from sales to marketing is, is very, uh, as I say, organic and, and logical. You know, the move from marketing to sort of editorial, maybe less so. Uh, I, I think in that instance, a, a couple things happened. I, I was offered a job by another company to come be like their publisher. And, and, and McGraw-Hill just said, okay, we'll, we'll make you the publisher. Oh, and I works. guess I felt, yeah, that was good. And I, <laughs> I, I guess I felt that, you know, I guess is perhaps as your career advances, if you want to maybe have the best or the biggest impact on the program, what I foresaw is that making the content and building the products gave me that opportunity. So, so that's, that's why, like, I, I never, uh, I never really aspired to sort of moving on to the editorial side. It just sort of became self-evident that, okay, if you want to lead sort of a big team that's going to make these products, this is where you do it. So, so that sort of was, was the impetus behind that, that change. And then, of course, the move from when I first moved over, it was really largely books, right? We were, we were acquiring, publishing, selling books. 
uh, and then the, the, the migration to sort of all digital all the time was also very kind of natural and organic. That's good to hear. I, I have a lot of conversations about career and professional development. I sit on a lot of panels. And one of the questions that people always ask is, I'm here in this position. How do I get from here to there? They think of the jump as such a major move from one space to the other. So it's really nice to hear you saying that even when it's something totally different, it sort of still weaves together and it works together. And at this point in your career, you're using it all to sort of, you know, manifest this lasting impact on you know our space. So it's really nice to hear that. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people will gain value from from that insight. So thank you for that. Definitely. So what happens if you're not like you so much and you kind of it sounds <laughs> as though and perhaps I'm wrong. So clarify that. But it sounds like you kind of understood how you wanted your career path thing to go. At some point, you took ownership of what that would look like. You said, I want to move from here and I'm going to go here. And now I want to go here next, right? So let's say that's not it. And you find yourself right in that cusp. You're sitting in what some might refer to as a rut. And you're trying to make that determination of like, how do I now navigate my career differently? Especially say you're in mid-career, right? You've done a lot of the preliminary work and you don't know maybe specifically where you want to go next. But what I guess would be some, you know, useful advice to people out there who may be listening that are in similar positions? Right. Uh, yeah, that's a good question and an important question. I think what I would recommend in, in that situation is um, I, I would probably identify a couple people, you know, within your own your own organization or maybe kind of within your industry or your sphere of publishing that you sort of admire and 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 maybe aspire toward, let's say. And I would probably approach them and ask them for uh, their insights. Uh, on making a, a move. Now, I think you also have to have in the back of your mind, well, what what do I want to do? It, it, let's say you're in marketing, but you really want to become an, edit, an editor or you want to become a graphic designer. I, I don't know. You know, I think you'd have to identify, well, what what do I want as my endpoint in, in a next move? And then, of course, if there are skills that are required, let's say you do want to become a graphic designer, you're a marketing manager, uh, is there some coursework or training that you need to pursue to get that skill set, the requisite skill set, so that you could in fact become a designer or whatever? But but short of that, I I think there's a lot of value to a lot of value in tapping some of the expertise that's sort of around us in in, in various roles. And and I've always found, and I, and maybe you folks would attest to this too, people are really eager to help guide folks in this kind of decision making. I, I would do that. I, I, I oftentimes had a couple people I could sort of turn to and get their opinion of, and it really it really influenced my path in a in a good way. So, and it's also che cheap and relatively easy to do um, because I think everybody knows a couple people of this ilk where they're maybe at a different station, maybe maybe more senior, maybe higher, maybe not. You, you know, you could just ask for their trust and sort of tap into their expertise. So, so that would probably be the, you know, the, the two things that sort of, to summarize, finding out where you, where you want that next de destination to be, and then talk, get it, getting insight from others around that might help clear the path for you to get to that, get to that point. I think that's really smart. And one of the cool things about, you know, CSE is we're all in this industry. So there are tons of people, I mean, we even have a mentorship program. So I think that that that's fantastic advice. If, even if you don't have someone you can go to within your company, right. um, there's tons of people at CSE who would be willing to talk. 
And so I have somewhat of a weird question. <laughs> um, and, you know, I know within, you know, what's going on right now in society, people are very, um, they're eager, they want things to move, it's really fast paced, they don't want to wait around, they just want to go, go, go. And so I'm wondering if you have any insight on a good way to determine if you are actually in a rut or if you're just being impatient. Oh, well, that's that's interesting. <laughs> um, well, I think what's clearly a trend is, is people are um, staying in the same place much less than they used to. I, I mean, when I was at McGraw-Hill, all, all around me were people that were there for 30, 31 years, 35 years, 42 years, you know, it was like that. Uh, that's almost anachronistic now. <laughs> I think it almost goes both ways. Employees had, had always had this kind of fealty to the company and, oh, I'm never going to leave. Uh, this, is where I, this is where I'm at. And I think companies also really embrace the notion of here's a person that's going to be here a long, long time. I, I think both, both, parts of that equation are, are changed. I mean, companies now will just get rid of a whole division. Yeah, and yeah. it could be some of the best performers in the company, but eh, we're, we're shutting that thing down. Or, uh, you know, it's, it, these, these changes can be very um, kind of mercurial. And, and then similarly, on the employee side, I mean, people are impatient, as you say. How do, I, how do you determine if you're at that spot? I mean, I guess it's, I, I think it's sort of almost a morale thing. I mean, if you find mm -hmm. yourself really down in the dumps and and you find that your work is is bringing you down i think there's something you know off base about that i think i have been fortunate in that at every stop that i had in my work career i mean there was never one job i, I used to say there's never one day where i, I probably was a day where i didn't want to go in <laughs> but I, I can't remember that so I, I always was fortunate that you know my work experience lifted me up and, and I guess what I'd say is if you're finding that your work experience is bringing you down, then it's time for sort of introspection and maybe trying to, trying to find a different path. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And, and I guess what I, what I want to refrain from saying is like a timeline. You know, it's like, well, if you're seven years there, you got to change. If you're four and a half years here, then you got to, because I've seen it where, oh, you know, those are not, those are not fair to, to, to lay those on people. As I say, you know, there was one guy who was a sales rep like I was and he was that doing it for 36 years and he loved it and he was real productive and 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 uh, did well but he never had a, an aspiration to keep moving up within the organization because he loved calling on his professors and it was fine you know so so there's really not a timeline or or timelines to assign to these kinds of changes i think it's really the the mindset that the job creates in your own world and then Make, you know, make decisions from there. I think that's really good to hear because a lot of people, um, at least from what I hear on the ground at times, is that there's a limit to being at an organization, right? Where I've been here for 10 years or 15 years and I really need to consider moving, not because I want to move, but because I've been here for 10 or 15 or 20 plus years. So I think it's really good to hear that as, you know, don't put a timeline on it. Like think about what you want, what's realistic for yourself, you know, what you're doing. 
uh, one of the things I like within that, and then please speak to this, um, is the idea of, okay, I have been somewhere for 10 or 15 years. And say, for the example you use, they were a sales rep. I'm sure their job didn't remain the, the same 100%. I think that, that you probably bring something new to a space, even if you've been there for some length of time. Speaking from my own experience, I've been at my organization for nearly a decade, but I've held different positions, right? Um, multiple positions within the organization. So can you talk to that about like, even if you're at an organization for a long time and you're not wanting to make some sort of move. What are some things that you can do to sort of reinvent your job? I'm not, I think that's kind of broad, but you know what I mean? Like how do you bring a new yeah. version of yourself to the space you're already in so that you, you, you come to work and you're, you're doing something slightly different, even if it's almost the exact same thing. Can you speak to that? Yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting uh, notion. And I do think it's fair to say that you know, particularly in this climate, no job stays exactly the same. I mean, technology is changing around us. Market conditions are changing around us. Expectations are changing around us. So even if you're in a job with almost the exact same title, there, there's going to be a degree of change that's inevitable. And, and I think it's a company like your company, uh, your organization, it's a testament to them if they can, if they can take a person whom they covet you know, and who's and and succeeding in in her work, and continue and continue to give her new challenges, so to keep her engaged and keep her interested. And you know, I guess if you're if you're on the other end of it, if you're the employee, I, I guess I would and I you know I tell this to my own um, kids who are now starting to get into the working world. Like I tell them, all, always look for more things you can do. I had a boss at McGraw Hill used to say, if you start cutting. Uh, more grass in the field, the field, you own the field. <laughs> it's now your field, you know? <laughs> so it's it's an interesting analogy. But I think the notion is even if you're in a particular job, you know, maybe there's other areas that you can get involved in or, or annex, but in, 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 a, in a constructive way. You're not, you're not sort of taking it from someone else. You're not being, you know, you're not doing something sneaky, but there's probably those opportunities around. You just have to really look for them and be open to them. And, and then, you know, if, if somebody, I think, sees you with that kind of an approach where, hey, this person's productive, but they're always looking to kind of do a little bit more. I, I think that really augurs well for people when it comes to getting promotions and getting being involved in interesting projects and things like that. So I, I think it's part of it is just being uh, uh, ready to take whatever changes kind of naturally come within a job, but then also to look, look for those opportunities where you can bring other responsibilities into your sphere that then they, then they become your own. That's pretty cool. And I mean, that makes sense too. Like you want to prove that you can do other things in order to get those other opportunities. Right. And I guess one question I have is, if you are, you know, looking for other things to do in your job, in your current organization, and, and you're trying to grow and build, if you ever do find that you are becoming stagnant or in this rut, like we're talking about, um, I'm assuming that that would then be a good indication that, okay, maybe you should look at potentially going to another organization. And please do like speak on that if that's not what you're saying, or if you have anything um, else to add to that. But I guess when you do make that determination that you need to move to another organization or that you want to, how do you get good experiences to make that jump while you still have your full-time job? Right. Well, I, I always advise people to not leave their current work, even if they're, well, if they're 
unbearably miserable, that's that's a different thing. But if it's just where a situation where, you know, and I think this happens, and sometimes it's kind of a natural progression where, you know, the company and the job just sort of tap out, or or, mm-hmm. or there's really nowhere else to to go. So so we work a lot with university presses. It's a great it's a great sector. I mean, it's it's really interesting. They they publish incredible books, and there's some really smart people there. But some of those presses are so small. I mean, there's nothing else to do. <laughs> you know, if you're, and I, I say that, and in, 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 and they would, I think, sort of edify that. Where, okay, we, you know, the universe is just not massive. So, I don't know if you're the salesperson or the EDP director. It's like this is what you do, and and you know, maybe you try to do the job better and better each time, each year, whatever. But but if you aspire to become the press director and that person just began last year and, you know, she's going to be in the job for 15 years, well, you're probably going to have to make a move if that's your aspiration. That's fair. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's not easy when you're having a job and then looking for the next job. I just think it's really dangerous to sort of leave a job and say, I'm going to find my next thing now. I quit that other thing. I couldn't, it just never, it never looks good. It, and, and there's practical sides of it where it's like, okay, well, you know, you know, you don't have an income. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do then? Like, how do you balance, you know, continuing to do well at the current job, but also trying to get experience and expertise to potentially move somewhere else? How do you balance that? Uh, well, I think it's, I think it's challenging. And I think if you're in that mode where you really want to, you know, move to a next level, I, I think you just have to, uh, you know, be strategic in the jobs that you identify that, that, that might be in your sweet spot. And, um, uh, you know, you can't drop the ball on your, on your day job because that's what's paying the bills. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's a challenge. And, um, you know, I have, had, I've had people say to me, well, I think I'm going to quit this because I just need to really focus on a job hunt. I say, I always say, don't do it. I mean, unless, unless the job is so, debilitating where you, you know, you can't even stand walking in the door, then it's maybe a different story. But uh, I, I do think that's a challenge to that, that, that people just have to kind of um, power through, you know. Just in thinking about that, Carolyn, one of the things I think I, 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 I think of that too, like if, when you say there are small publishers and there's like nowhere else to go, there's not much more you can do. Um, I think about my, my own team in certain areas where I'm like, I don't really even know what else to give them. So one of the things I always suggest to them, which is how I think I found my way to CSE, is to go into these external organizations and volunteering areas where they are doing some of the things that you want to do. Right. But I guess like looking at that from your perspective, Jack, do you see that as something you can use. So take, for example, you do volunteer with one of the one of, one of the organizations like CSE and you're gaining experience, but it does not reflect that right in your everyday work. How do you then like, I guess, apply that to maybe your resume or how do you highlight that to other people that this is something I really truthfully have experience in? How do you think that looks to a, a person hiring to say they don't do this every day, but they do this with this third part party entity? Yeah, I think that's a great that's a great point. So I, I, I'm a big proponent of being involved in, in these sort of uh, industry associations and societies, and, and I do think they look good on resumes. I, I think you and you know when I was in publishing, I was sort of active in this kind of world. I always was amazed at what I learned. You, you know this, and this is when the internet was starting. You know, it was like in '94. <laughs> I don't know '93, '94. And I of, I often say if I weren't involved in those industry things, I never would have been further down the road that 
you know, than I, than I was because they really taught me a lot. So I, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of people getting involved in those experiences. The other thing that that does is it dramatically expands, well, two things. It dramatically expands your own personal network of, of people, of contacts. And then it also expands your, the exposure that you get to many others in the industry. And very honestly, I mean, you know, we're, we're recruiters. So I'll often go to, the, I'll open up sort of the, um, I used to go to the CSC conference. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's, well, I guess no one's going to conferences anymore. But, you know, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd open up the brochure and see, oh, who's talking or who's on the panel? And then I would sort of follow up like, hey, we have a job and such and such. I see you, you know, you're speaking. So there's, there's actually kind of manifold benefits to being in those associations, some of which people don't even realize are there. It's just, it's always a good path. I think, I think that's a brilliant strategy to sort of say to people, okay, look, I'm going to try to create as many new opportunities for you here, but you should also get involved in this, organi- this organization that's germane to our industry. Because it can it can kind of give people a little bit of juice about uh, other things that they're interested in, and and also I think make them make them aware of and perhaps proud of the industry that they're in, which is scholarly publishing, which is a pretty cool cool area. <laughs> Definitely, and it also gives you different skills that you wouldn't have in your day job, like Jasmine no was saying. Question. Yeah. No so question. I mean, for instance, I joined CSE and I joined Jasmine, and we were both at the time co-hosts or well we are co-hosts still of this but um co-chairs of the professional development committee and that gave me great leadership experience which i didn't have currently in my job so different examples like that even speaking in front of people like you said you would go and look at people who are speaking at conferences that could be something that you know if you're not in in front of people at the company that could give you good chance to work on those sorts of skills networking skills so you're right like i think that Pitch for everyone. Everyone become a member of CSE. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing is, I think, like, I'm just thinking of my own kind of, you know, personal journey into this kind of world of, of association, affiliation or whatever. And I realized that my, when I came to McGraw-Hill, I had a guy who was really like a mentor and great, a great, great guy, great manager. But he, he forced me into this world. Like he said one day, you're on the panel for PSP. I'm like, why? <laughs> like I wasn't looking for trouble and I wanted no trouble. I, you know, I just want to do my job. And he said, no, nah, I put you down for that. So, and then I got involved in it and like, so I never would have done it on my own. So I guess the, the message here is sometimes managers have to force it onto the people, you know, because, <laughs> because they might never do it willingly uh, themselves, but it really created a very uh, important journey for me. Like I, I, that, again, a PSP was what we, we were involved in. And, um, you know, the people that I met from that experience, I, I still have them as colleagues and I, and I'm, you know, forever grateful for those kind of relationships, but I, I never would have on my own said, I want to be part of the panel for PSP. But this guy just said, I signed you up. <laughs> you <know>? And <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, you that's need a what, shove. sometimes that's what you have to do. You know, you have to kind of, um, just make it happen for, for some people. So 
Yeah, that's very, very true. <laughs> I, I think that's a leadership skill uh, moment as well. Like some servant leadership is like paying attention to your team and seeing who needs a push if they are in a rut. Like, you know, maybe yeah. there's something right, that, exactly. you know, you can do within that space that helps out your um, your team. And then honestly, as a manager, I know that personally, I know that when my team is doing well, when they're feeling better about whatever they're experiencing, it always helps the, the collective team. Sure. And, you know, that shared experience is always wonderful. So I'm sure as a recruiter, you're seeing people who may be entering into the space who may not necessarily have the background for scholarly publishing. I think there's a coined term of we fell into the industry, right? Right. So do you think there's any tips for someone who's trying to get into this space that you'd like to give? How do you push your way in? Where are some entry points that we may not be considering to gain access to the scholarly publishing industry? Right. So I, I do get this question uh, every now and then, and it's usually a situation where, you know, someone's graduating from college. I'll say it's someone on the younger part of their career and they're think they're the mother or father says they, I'd like them to get into publishing. You know, so I'll, I get I get those um, questions every now and then. If it's truly somebody from right out of a college situation or maybe they had one one or one or two other jobs, but they're they're really early on. I think there's sort of two really good pathways into publishing. So the first one is what I did, and that's in the sales channel, you know, through the sales avenue, where you're a sales rep and you're out sort of hawking whatever the product is. Now, I also realize that not everybody has sort of that disposition to be into sales. So that's, you know, you sort of have to have some affinity for it or it's going to be a disaster. Then... So, so that's one path. The other path, which I tell people, and this might seem kind of goofy, but I say to them, okay, so identify a couple uh, publishers that you'd like to maybe be with. And I always say, go into a bookstore and look <laughs> at the books that you like. Say, okay, well, I like uh, trade or I like uh, law legal books or I don't know. You know, I, I came from medical, medical publishing. No <laughs> one's kind of walking over to the medical division. To, bookshelf. <laughs> but what I say to them is identify a couple companies that, that seem attractive to you, go onto the job board, and then apply to every job that's at the assistant level. Sales assistant, production assistant, marketing assistant, editorial assistant, any, anything, anything. And the reason is, if you're a, person, a younger person that's just trying to get into publishing, you want to just get in. Because what happens, particularly at the assistant level, and again, I, I, I'm guessing you guys might have experienced this too, like when, a, when a, a, an assistant would come in, you know, somebody's, let's say, fairly green out of college, everybody would sort of say, if the person was good, I, I got, we, got, we got to hire, uh, you know, Mary, we got to hire Frank. They, look, we've been watching how they just do their things. And, and I, I saw so many people who be, began as assistants ended up running the whole division. Because they were so good, and and they and they and, and they were sought after by so many people. So, you know, th those are the two paths that I always say to kind of for neophytes who just I don't know think they want to get into publishing. I mean, nobody. No, they just want to. They just want to write books. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, okay. That's you, you know that can be down the line a little bit, but 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 um, you know the sales channel. And the assistant channel are two ways that I think are really effective to kind of launch sort of a career in publishing. I mean, one, one maybe, you know, more accessible than the other, because if you're, like I say, the sales thing, not everybody has that sort of uh, inclination. I love the idea of the assistant level, because to me, that's almost a surefire path to success, because 
you know, once the person gets into an organization, then they can look around and see like, oh, okay, I started as an editorial assistant, but I love publicity. Well, after six months, you know, that person can now go over to the director of publicity and say, hey, you know, this is really where I want to be. So I've been working in editorial, as you know, for the last eight months and it's going well, but this is really what I'd love to do next. And if the person is, is good, which I'm sure, you know, she probably is, the, the marketing or publicity directors can't move quick enough to hire, hire the person <laughs> over, you know? So that, that's why I always think it's a great avenue in for people looking to, you know, make a, make a start in publishing. I think it's a fantastic suggestion. And I mean, you hear about people starting at the bottom and working their way up. And that's I, I have seen that very clearly within scholarly publishing, which is what you've just echoed. So I really like that suggestion. Yeah, I, I do too. <laughs> I, found, I found some of that to be very truthful as well within my own space. And so it's nice to hear that that's a really good avenue. So yeah, I think a lot of people will find value in that too, especially if they're already in those positions. Maybe they're starting off and that was their, their thinking. Um, it's confirming your thinking, everyone. You're in a great space <laughs> to figure out exactly how to navigate the rest of this um, industry. Certainly. I can confirm. I started as an editorial assistant. Yeah. I did as well. So, and that was a little under a decade ago. So, I mean, yeah, you start at the bottom and you just work your way up. So as long as you had a foot in the door. Yep. That's right. Well, is there, oh, do you have another question, Jasmine? No, I was just, I was just thinking, I, I didn't have any more questions, but wrapping up the show today and we covered a lot actually, um, but there may be something that you think we just didn't get to a question that, you know, we didn't ask, but uh, a response that you may want to give us to, to let our audience know about, you know, how, how do they get from where they are to maybe where they want to be or whatever you might want to offer as advice. Yeah. Well, um, you know, certainly, I mean, this past year has been sort of an unprecedented time. I, I guess some general kind of bits of advice is, uh, you know, ne never be precipitous in, in, in your decision making. If you're someone considering job changes, I think you also want to try to gather uh, as much information as you can about, you know, a potential job change. As I said earlier, leaning on others mentors or people that you trust kind of in maybe in your industry or in your company or in your department or whatever, just to kind of pick, pick their brains to gather as much Intel as you can. And then I think, I, I think that people, you know, uh, everybody's kind of working 2.3 jobs these days, you know? And I think that what I tell folks is don't think it's going to go some other way. Like if, if somebody says, Oh, I have too much to do, uh, welcome to the club. Like everybody has too much to do. So I, I think the, the kind of personal outlook has to be one of just staying positive, staying always on the bright side of things, not, not grousing about what you, you sort of don't have or working too hard or this, this or that or the other thing. So I, I think, you know, staying positive, staying productive, to use the analogy for the, my old boss, kind of always, look, you know, look for more grass that you can cut. And, you know, just maybe that'll, that'll put you into a whole different position, which will, which will be really helpful. Wow. I really like that answer. Look for more grass to cut. <laughs> I think that's a really great way to, to wrap up the podcast. And I just, I really want to thank you again, Jack, Jasmine and I, we're really excited that you were able to come and chat with us. And yeah, my pleasure. Good and to I see think you that, that the listeners will really enjoy everything that we've talked about today. I think this has been really, really informational and helpful. Good. I'm glad. Well, it was it was a delight. And as I say, I'm just uh, amazed that the technology worked on my end because it usually <laughs> never does. Thank you. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. 
Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and the Google Play Store. You can also find us on the CSC website, councilscienceeditors.org. CSE, education, ethics, and evidence for editors. Thank you.